if a customer's got a problem, it's our problem. That's been, I think, one of our mottos really from from the outset. We don't, well, I won't accept people just shrugging the shoulders. Hello there, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 46 of Inside AgriTurf. Uh, This is the second of a trilogy of podcasts featuring dealers established over the ages. Last week I talked to Tim Lane of ATH Machinery in Hampshire about the challenges that he faced and the solutions he found starting his business two years ago, just a few months before lockdown. I wanted to know about the economics and evolution of the businesses. Thus, I called the trilogy Dealonomics. So that was Dealonomics at 2, and today, Dealonomics at 25, and features Steve Halley of Cheshire Tariff Machinery, who've just heard, and who this year celebrates its 25th anniversary. As it turns out, the rather cheesy title of Dealonomics does actually sum up the central aim of any business to have a stable financial bedrock. Uh, That was clear from Tim Lane and certainly is the case with Steve Halley, whose dealership has evolved from a focus on consumer products to becoming one of the country's leading professional turf machinery dealers. So Steve, uh, welcome and, and, and take me back to the beginning. Well, yeah, the, the original company goes back uh, to 1956 okay. when uh, then a car dealership, the, the owner spotted a, a gap in or a, an opportunity. Uh, he, he started to sell Simar rotor tillers and employed a young salesman uh, called Peter Mitchell. And uh, Peter went all over the place to market gardeners and uh, gained a you know, a growing reputation, and and before uh, before long, it, it had overtaken the uh, the car business. That was when Cheshire Light Tractors was uh, established. So it goes back to 1956. Uh, and then Electrolux came on the scene. Oh yeah, yeah. That that was that was much later, um, going back to to 1980. In the the run up to to that that time. Uh, the business had taken on, you know, various agencies, mainly uh, domestic. Uh, you know, you know all, the, all the old names that you'll be familiar with, with Landmaster and Webb. And, of course, as, um, as things developed, Flymill came on the scene. Cheshire Light Tractors were one of the original distributors of the Flymill product. Peter... Uh, had become by that time he was a managing director and Brian Marshall, the chairman, they they were ready for retiring. Electrolux, who owned Flymo, decided to step in to protect their interests in the Northwest. They came and bought the whole company. A gentleman who you're familiar with, Les Evans, was brought back from Australia to uh, become the first uh, general manager. During that period, we'd gone from primarily a, a retailer that did a bit of redistribution and um, alongside that some some professional um, business because we were we'd, um, also acquired the, the, the Toro agency. Suddenly there was this huge increase in, in the distribution side of the business uh, because of the, the electro stroke flymo ownership. 
So the, the, the face of the business changed dramatically. Uh, and when did you come on the, the, the scene then, Steve? Well, I'd already joined the company at that stage. I joined in uh, January uh, 1978. I'd, uh, I'd been trying to, to get into the trade. My, my, my father um, had always been a groundsman. I thought that it was something that I'd, you know, I'd enjoy. I'd started off with my father first, went to Manchester University as a, uh, a groundsman there. I saw this, this job advertised as an outside representative. And uh, I went along and had a, an interview with Peter Mitchell and he offered me the job on the spot. And, and that's where it all began. When the Electrolux bought the company in 1980 then, uh, Steve, mm. uh, from then on uh, for the next dozen or so years until the mid-1990s, uh, the main business was distribution of... We, we, did, we did okay. We did okay. But the, the, the main thrust of the business had become... A wholesaler, really, from being a retailer, we, we suddenly become a um, a wholesaler, and, and that was the main thrust of the business. So, uh, in nineteen ninety six, was it Electrolux decided to sell the business, or was there dialogue between you and them as to the way forward? Les had, had moved; he'd been asked to go as head of the Electrolux floor cleaning division. A Swede uh, became responsible for the for the outdoor products uh, area rather than somebody based in the UK. Pretty, pretty quickly, uh, they were asking questions about, well, you know, who, who's this company in Stockport? You know, couldn't we be doing that ourselves? And if we're being brutally honest, that was already happening because any orders that we had, we put back through the factory and the warehouse next door distributed them for us. So I, I suppose the, the, the writing was on the wall. There was some discussion. It was at one stage, the intention was that I was going to join the, the, the final company. I'd never actually said that I was going, but um, it was lined up. I'd had the photographs taken and everything, but um, there was just something that was just gnawing at me. You know, at that stage, I've been in the business for quite a while. My roots were on the professional side, and because of a little bit of uncertainty, shall we say, in the period leading up to 1996. I, I got more actively involved again. And instead of when I was out on the road all, all the time, there used to be a, a GM3 and a Toro 70, and that was it. By 1995, uh, there was fairway mowers, utility trucks, all sorts of other things that were a lot more competitive and, and um, desirable to the to the UK market. And I just felt that there was an opportunity there. You know, it was seen the same way that then managing director Peter Ginger understood my, my point of view. Very, he was very helpful. The group were fantastic in helping us establish the, uh, the business, even to the point of lending us some money at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was it. We just... I remember, I've got to say, before I made that phone call to Peter, uh, it was like I've described it as standing on, on a precipice. Long discussions with your wife and family, presumably? Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, as, as always, Christine was really supportive. Yeah. She knew, you know, how attached I, I, I was to the business. Yeah. And, you know, to, to think of that 
going somewhere else. You know, she knew it would hurt sure, me. So, sure. you know, she and and you, me. your your current uh, colleagues in the business, um, Mark Woodward and, and Peter McGreevy, were they on the scene then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Peter at that stage, Peter was our retail sales manager. Okay. And Mark was was our um, uh, service manager, and uh, both have been with us. You know, quite some time joined us as as uh, quite young young lads. Peter was in the parts department. Mark came in as a um, you know one of the one of the engineers. So so there was there was a fair bit of experience behind us. We had a, a couple of people as well. Like at that time, Barbara Clark was our arts manager. I think at that stage, Barbara had been in the trade for thirty seven years, and she was obviously very very well known. You know, she she was a you know a tremendous asset for us when we started, and so Toro very quickly had become your your lead franchise, had mm-hmm. it? Uh, um, because obviously yeah. that franchise was growing in terms of, of product lines. How easy was it to take on uh, complementary mm-hmm. uh, franchises, and uh, and was there any conflicts there that you experienced? Not not initially. We were at that time we were Kubota dealers, mm-hmm. and. You know, we we did other things such as Kawasaki. We did Kawasaki Mule. There was no real change. You know, I, I, I approached all the companies involved and asked them for the for the support, and they they had a look at what we'd what we got as a business plan. All of them uh, were tremendously supportive and, and helped us get the thing off the ground. And if you look back, Steve, on those early days, you know, as we went into the new millennium and into the 2000s, what what were your main reflections on the challenges that you you had in those days? You know, was was funding always a, a challenge or were you able to be self-supporting? What what worked and what didn't work? What worked is is still working today for us, really. We manage our money very, very well. One of the uh, things that we put into into action when we set the business up was really keeping control of stock. We had a lot of assistance. We asked for it up from from people at, at that time. It was Laley that were distributing the the Toro product. We explained the position that we were in, and Laley in particular, they they offered us some demonstration machines. It made life so much easier with the the commercial. Uh, policy that worked out okay because we didn't have to stock a lot of product outside demonstration machines so it 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 worked pretty well for us and it's i suppose an ethos that we've carried through that we you know make sure we collect our money what we did from the off is we uh, did an awful lot on finance we we worked hard to make sure that that uh, people had a finance option, you know, leases or um, higher purchase, but it was getting somebody to fund the business. Mm. Um, so if we were, you know, we were selling a machine, we were getting the money before we had to pay for it. We were turning the stock really, really quickly. The money was in the bank. That was the plan. I remember, <laughs> I remember we were about four or five weeks in and, uh, I don't know if you call him, but you don't call him a bank manager now. But what, at, what's at, that? He, he, phoned, <laughs> he phoned me up and he said, um, "You've got some." He said, uh, "You've got some checks that are due to go out." Yeah. He said, "You've got to have cleared funds." 
And I thought, is this what it's going to be like? You know, I said, we've, I said, we've got money there. Yeah, but it's not cleared yet. And that always, you know, that stuck with me. And to this day, I've never had to, as, as Bob, our company secretary, has said, I've never had to go and get my, my best suit on and go and see the, go and see the bank manager. If you could find um, him. Yeah, well, you, you wouldn't nowadays, would you? No, no, no. In, in uh, 1996, they were still around. Sure. And um, you were answerable to them. Yeah. And I didn't feel it. I never felt very comfortable with it. Were there any state, any periods, Steve, where uh, I've just done a, a podcast with Tim Lane, uh, who started his business just two months before, two or three months before lockdown. Obviously, his initial business plan went out the window and he had to revert to plan B. But but during yeah. the period since you started as, as, as Cheshire Turf Machinery, were there any periods either due to the weather or any other instances where the, the business looked like being at risk? Seriously, uh, no. I've got to say, March 2019, I thought, this is just, <laughs> where's this going to end up? And, yes. and I make no excuses. I was predicting mass unemployment and, uh, you know, people be running out of money. Uh, even when the uh, the, the furlough scheme kicked in, you know, I, I just didn't see how we were going to get out of this. But I, and I remember getting the, the, the team together and um, saying, "Look, we don't owe anybody any money. Um, we we don't run on an overdraft. If we've got problems, <laughs> there are other people that are going to fail before us. So you know, we just do what we can. We take every day as it as it comes." And knowing what probably one of the main strengths of the business is our ability to adapt and oh. be flexible, uh, think on our feet. Um, and again, it, it just came through, you know, through through the pandemic. And um, yes, in the in that in two thousand nineteen, sure. our sales were affected. But I'm proud to say that you know, as in has been the case with the other 25 years we, we still made a profit and i guess in terms of timing uh, and you, you never can time these things of course but you were somewhat fortunate in uh, it all kicked off or or locked down shall we say in march just at, right at the start of the growing season for for, yeah. for many people and l- although they would have been closed there was still a lot of maintenance going on in in mm. golf courses and sports yeah. grounds and so on so yeah. from that point of view you, you, that was a plus point i guess yeah um we've got machines that were we, we were still sort of finishing off winter servicing and things like that our thoughts are always with the with the customer when when boris made his his announcement on on the 23rd etched in my mind you know uh, yeah. I, I went to work We've just been told you can't go to work. Well, that was from the next, from midnight. Yeah. So myself and Christine got in the car. We went to work. We 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 said we you know with us there's fridges, there's all sorts of stuff. We've got empty bins. We you know we were in the we're in the premises, and I, I actually got an email from a a customer. Um, and this was late at night, was it? This is central uh, Yeah. 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 So I, I replied, and it was it was uh, you know with with the announcement. What effect is it going to have on on service times? And it, it is 
pretty important customer, but by the time I'd, I'd replied, he then asked me another couple of questions and did that. So it was going up to midnight when we left the, the office, just got back in before the curfew, really. <laughs> and you, you think, well, you know, what are we in for here? And, and uh, you know, for a few weeks, you know, we had some people working at home. That, that first week was, was awful because I didn't know whether I was doing the right thing. Well, what you could do, no, I, and, and I think every single business was in that situation, wasn't it, until yeah. uh, matters were clarified over, over time. Are there any aspects uh, that you put into place then that you think will be maintained um, uh, going forward, uh, Steve, uh, the way that you work, uh, which you might not have used uh, had the COVID not come along? Well, I mean, the, the obvious thing is, is this sort of space. You know, we, we, we I think, adapted. It, it was murder at first, you know, trying to keep people apart. Um, you know, as we started to get them back to work, we did it gradually. You know, hopefully we did it successfully. From that, I think it's just been an extension of what we've done for many years and that you've got to adapt to the situation. If a customer's got a problem, it's our problem. That's been, I think, one of our mottos, really, from, from the outset. We don't, well, I won't accept people just shrugging the shoulders. No. I find it infuriating when, when you know, we, we, we speak to other people, I go in somewhere, and they just, they're not interested. You know, they, they, they're not prepared to dig in and, and sort something out. Fortunate with the team we've got, they're all like that. Yeah. Um, you know, we work flexibly. I don't feel uh, awkward or guilty in asking them, you know, a wagon rolls up at lunchtime and we don't like having people, you know, held up because they, they know that if, if they want to do something or they need some, some time off or whatever, it's, it's done. They just, just do it. I'm not sure exactly what year it was that you um, you had the opportunity to expand the business and expand your territory. Did that come about because of encouragement or a request from Toro? Uh, yeah. Had um, had territories become available? Yeah. Um, it, it's happened or it's evolved, as many things do, with changes with other, other dealers or distributors. So we, we bit by bit added to the territory and then – the, the dealer that was looking after South Yorkshire, where we had got a bit of an issue with them at the time. They, they weren't particularly happy. So they did ask us, you know, if we were interested. We, we put an, an extra lad on the road and he did more in the first month than the previous dealer had done <laughs> in two years. So we thought, this is okay. In fairness, it plateaued. We, we needed to do something different. And... Um, it's almost like Forrest Gump, you know, the things just <laughs> just happen. Yes. Um, circumstances meant that uh, Henson and Chattel were changing from Ransoms to, uh, uh, to, to John, Deere. John Deere. Yeah. Tony Dodson, who was at that time working for, for Henson and Chattel, phoned me. And, um, and we had spoken. I'd known Tony for years. You know, he, he had sold Toro. You know, many years ago when he was at Yorkshire Moors and, um, uh, you know, we've been been pretty good friends uh, since those days. But he, he's always he's tremendously loyal. Uh, and he would not have left Henton and Chattel unless circumstances had, had have, uh, prevailed. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, uh, I'm, I'm interested now. We met up. He joined us in uh, 
1981. And at that time, we, we formed Yorkshire Turf Machinery. It is purely a sales division of Cheshire Turf Machinery. <laughs> the difference is we have a Yorkshireman on the site, uh, <laughs> on the patch, and it was just changed overnight. Yeah, it yeah. Suddenly it went from how far away are you? you know, and, it, and Sheffield to, to Stockport is about 35 miles. Suddenly yeah. it did become, it, it, it wasn't an issue. Mm. Um, and that, that's largely down to, you know, respect that um, the customers have for Tony and his experience. But it just gave them a, a feeling of comfort. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's a few years he's been with yeah. us now. Yeah. yeah. The success of any business, I get, is down to the partly to the products they sell, uh, but yeah. also probably even more importantly, the, the people they employ. Now, you seem to have a, a fairly stable team there and i've heard you say in the past um, the importance of someone like bob smithson to your company who's in sort of back office support shall i call him i mean how yeah. is how important is it uh, to have someone like that who's who's able to sort of sit in the background and 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 make sure things tick over i'm really pleased you've asked me that because i've always wanted to shower bob with the, the credit he deserves because I don't think he appreciates, and, and hopefully everybody else will do from now on, appreciate the, the importance he's had in, in, in our, our business. Not just, um, it was getting off the ground. I mean, he's tremendous with his experience. Uh, but as you say, somebody back as a, as a bit of a steady in hand. He was always there, you know, Peter and myself in particular, were out on the road going seeing customers. He was the one that would be saying, Make sure that that money needs to be in at such and such a date, and just making sure the cash worked for us through his efforts and his guidance. You know, I think we've we we've developed a, a, a really good business as far as administration is is concerned. Uh, the disciplines that he's he's brought to us have been fantastic. I mentioned early on, you know. Fortunate that we we can operate in in tough times because we got we got money in the bank. Mm. Um, that's down to Bob Smithson, um, and it, he's, he's been an absolute. But Bob, I haven't actually seen him for nearly two years. Really, <laughs> Bob actually lives in in um, Sedgefield, so for years he's he's come down on the train on on a Wednesday and uh, fulfilled the role as company secretary. In the early days, he used to get the train to the airport and I'd pick him up there. And more latterly, since we moved to Bradbury, he goes to Manchester and he gets another connection uh, and then travels back the same day. Now, he's 70, hope I'm getting this right, Bob, he's 77 now. And I speak to him, you know, three or four times a week. Uh, but he's on the phone to Alison, who uh, runs our accounts. And again, he's just just keeping check on things. Um, it's it's kept him involved. Bob, I don't know whether I told you this in the past. Bob was financial controller at Flymo, and mm-hmm. he was just taking uh, early retirement at the time we set up the business. Uh, at that time, we managed to attract a, an investor into the company or well actually Bob did 
But his, his proviso was that, yeah, I'll support you as long as you make Bob the company secretary. And I couldn't shake his hand fast enough. It, he's, he's been fantastic for us. But outside of the business, um, you know, obviously suppliers have, have met him over the years, et cetera. But, um, sure. but I can't, I can't emphasise how much effect he's had on the business. And uh, oh, that that that's good to hear. And you do, it would appear, to have a very uh, strong ethos of, of in your employment of people. Uh, would it be true to say that I'm not sure how you're finding getting staff these days, recruiting new staff, or yeah. whether you you need to recruit people? But would it be true to say then, Steve, that um, if somebody came to you with a uh, a, a shed load of uh, qualifications. Um, actually, uh, what you're looking for is attitude rather than rather than qualifications. Probably from the background, I think you know. I, I didn't, never went to to university and not got loads of qualifications myself. So if, if somebody comes to us and you know that I, I feel there's, there's something there, one can they get on with the staff? Are they going to be able to blend with the people that are there? It's a nightmare when you've got somebody that's, that's causing a problem. So they've all got to be able to get on with each other. So that, that that's one of the first things I consider, to be honest. And then it's whether they can do the job. I, I did a thing a few years ago for a customer doing a presentation. and At that stage, it was 178 years of um, – there was only 22 of us in the business, but it was 178 years' experience in our trade. I think that's that'll be well over 200 now. I hate recruiting people. Oh, it drives me mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I find it much better to try and keep the ones we've got. Yes. Um, so – it's, it's almost like customers. It's harder to get new customers or it costs you more to, to get new customers than it does to retain them. And hopefully, you know, I, I do make it clear to them they are valued and, um, you know, they have the respect of myself and Mark and Pete. We get on. We get on. There's no big dramas or anything like that. Steve, you built up a pretty impressive uh, client list of some very high profile, particularly sports club, Premier League, uh, particularly the Manchester clubs and Liverpool, yeah. I understand, and, and so yeah. on. How, uh, how demanding, how much on your toes do you have to be dealing with them? Is, it, is, it, is there anything different? Because obviously they are employing some very high uh, worth individuals running around on grass that um, is it, up to you to take care of, and not you particularly, yeah. but the groundsman will be using your kit. How aware are you of the responsibility uh, in that area? Yeah, we, we're aware of it. And, and because of that, we adapt um, you know, we make people available in, in sort of to, to, to meet or exceed the timescales that, that are required. Because um, it's, it's all down to, to sort of service and, and keeping them going and understanding the problems and, and being able to react quickly. You, you mentioned the, the Manchester Cubs. Part of that is, is our location and positioning. Yeah. We're, we're, you know, really close to them. But, um, you know, if, if we didn't do a job, that wouldn't matter where we were positioned. You know, you'd, I'd like to think that every customer is important yeah. to us. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we're delighted with the, the business that we do. We, we always welcome more. But they're not as – I hope I don't live to regret this – but they're, they're not as difficult as or 
uh, as demanding as some retail customers, shall we say. The demands that people put on you for, um, I know a few years ago, we were getting people coming in with, you know, 19 pound trimmers and or not coming in, they're expecting us to pick them up and service them and 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 others that were just coming in and putting a machine that they hadn't bought from us, just stick it on the on the counter and say, okay, we'll, we'll book it in. And what do you mean book it in? No, I'll, I'll wait for it, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, we, we had to be a little bit more selective, shall we say. We would sooner look after a big Premier League football club that's spending hundreds of thousands rather than some that spend £19, but giving us grief. Every business is, um, is is encouraged to be as sustainable as they possibly mm. can, and that applies to your customers as well. Yeah. yeah. How big an issue these days? Either uh, you do have products, obviously electric products, hybrid products yeah. uh, to yeah. sell. How is the growth of that? What, what what's driving the market? How aware of environmental concerns are are your customers for a start? Um, particularly the football clubs. They're, you know, really interested in anything that's uh, electric because they've got, you know, uh, shareholders or large owners that are involved in, you know, other businesses that uh, uh, they, ha- they demand a responsibility, the environmental issues. Yeah, there's, there's, there's more and more awareness, more demand for electric battery pro- products. We haven't done you know, masses, you know, with with, with um, autonomous products at this stage. But you will see, you know, developments like with Toro, they've been buying companies um, to embrace the, the new new technology and new developments. And um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to accelerate even faster in the, in the you know, coming, uh, coming years. Um, w- one issue that I heard raised the other day uh, was in the care of of, of hybrid pitches, um, both cricket wickets and yeah. also obviously football grounds. Are you aware of any sort of issues? Because obviously this is plastic that is blasted into the turf. And does that create, and there's some discussion on how sustainable that is and over time and uh, and the effect on machinery, is that an issue that, that crops up at all? From a sustainability point of view, I'm not probably best qualified to, to answer that. Um, I do know from a, a practical point of view, you know, with, the, with um, a lot of the, the material that's stitched into the pitches now, it does give us a problem. Because usually when it's when they're redone, the the strands are usually proud for the uh, first few cuts, and it plays havoc with cylinders. So every time there's a renovation, that you know there's movement in there, and then you get the plastic uh, strands coming through. Cylinders hate it, you know, the the blunt in in uh, constantly. You you needing to address that with regrinds or backlapping and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit of an issue. You're, you're part of, I was going to say the Toro family, but actually it's the Resync family who have got a, a growing portfolio of, of, of products. I guess from those, Toro and Tim Tractors are the ones that you, you're involved in, but there are also yeah. irrigation products. Are, you, are yeah. you tempted to diversify into other areas like that? Tempted. Uh, we've, ne- we've never taken the, the leap. Uh, we've had customers that have said, "Why don't you, you know, why don't you do the irrigation?" 
think there's a demand for it. The problem I see is it's feast or famine. And to have the right people at the right time, I, I think uh, probably stretches. It seems to be the, the issue all, all every season, you know, the people want the uh, irrigation servicing at the same time, you know, and there's never enough people around to uh, to address it, so it would probably mean a completely separate division, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you decided to embark on on something yeah. like that, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, the other area, uh, really, Steve, is is that uh, um, obviously you've got a very strong dealer up set up up there in the northwest, but Resync, um, as a holding company, do seem to be uh, acquiring dealerships and running dealerships. Do you think this is just as a needs must operation, shall I say, where they can't find somebody? Because opening up any any dealership is not for the faint-hearted, is it? It's <laughs> and and so I, I guess in order to protect their, their 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 market share in various areas, it it really is the only option open to them. I th- I'm, I firmly believe that it's not something that they want to develop if they don't have to. Um, as you say, they've had to react to certain areas where they've not had a, a, a suitable alternative. All the way through it, the, they've said the preferred route to market is with a dealership. I mean, we've had customers that have asked the same question. And of course, they all think that if they were dealing with the importer, then prices would go down and, you know, it would be fantastic because we wouldn't have to be paying these, these daft dealers. But of course, you know, the, the distributor is only too aware that there are a lot of costs that they have to put into an operation to set, in effect, their own dealership up. The uh, service staff, they're going to have other premises, the, you know, the equipment, uh, the running costs of a, effectively a dealership. Um, so it's, it's not all beer and skittles, as you no. know. Looking back on the twenty-five years, but actually it's twenty-five years plus plus uh, anyway. But 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 taking Cheshire turf machinery is it in a in a place where you maybe hoped it would be uh, twenty-five years ago? Uh, There's many times I think, yeah, I should have perhaps been a bit bolder, taken some some more risks, um, see just to see what happens, but. At the end of the day, when periods like drought or 2019 crop up on <laughs> without any any warning, I can still sleep. You know, yeah. it's it's um, I'd, I'd probably be more comfortable with that rather than flying with the seat in my pants all the time. Never going to be a Jeff Bezos or anything like that. But I don't um, think you'd want to we, be, we've done you? okay. Yeah, we've done okay. There are people that. I'm still dealing with now that I dealt with in the old Cheshire Light Tractors Company. So that that, that was when we set out. I I, I always said I, I wanted us to be a company that you know we're nice to do business with, and um, you know they come back. Well, they have come back, and and you know I'm, I'm really proud of that. And and that's been the same for for employees as well. We've during that time we've had a we've had a few that have left us. I think currently we've got five that at some stage have left us and, and, and have rejoined us. So 
must say something, mustn't it? I think it's a bad, really. And, and without being ageist, uh, Steve, um, you've got a lot of uh, uh, miles under the clock between you. <laughs> In terms of succession, how do you see it uh, panning out over the over the coming years? Well, the, for a start, Peter and, and Mark are a bit younger than me. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of life left in the team there. And, and my son, it. Chris, as um, you know, he joined us pretty much straight from school. And I, I actually checked when it was earlier on. Uh, that was 23 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so new boy. you know, he, he's, um, he, he's, you know, obviously lived and breathed the, the business with, with me and Christine for, uh, for a, a lot longer than that. You know, he, he was, uh, I remember he, he went to a, a Kubota trip in Madeira when he was two years old. So, <laughs> so um, he's got a lot of experience in the business. Good, good. Uh, there are other, other people that, you know, we've come to rely on. And and lastly, uh, Steve, um, and I asked most of our guests this: Is there a motto that um, sticks in your mind when you're when you're you're trying to do business? I think you've come up with a few in terms of your yeah. staff ethos, um, or indeed a role model that that has guided you in your business. Role models, my bosses that I, that I've had. Peter Mitchell led from the front. Yeah, I'd get to work in the morning. He'd have the mop bucket out and. He'd do the office floor and that, and uh, a wagon load of flymores would arrive, and Peter would be on the top of the ladder stacking them, trying to squeeze them into the into the warehouse. Tremend- worked tremendously hard. And then Les, of course, Les Evans, uh, so enthusiastic, good team builder, uh, a people person, you know, and uh, he knew everybody's about everybody's family, and, and uh, first thing in the morning, every check, everybody was okay. So. Learn from them, and I, I think as role models, I think those two have been. Well, look, Steve, it's it's really great to catch up and uh, to hear a, a good news business story, and uh, long may it continue. And so, Thanks, can I thank you for for joining me today, and uh, I wish you all the best over the coming months and years. That's that's fantastic. It's good to talk to you, Chris, and um, wish you and Trish well. Keep Th- keep healthy. Th- thank you very much. So there you are. It is abundantly clear that the strong financial position established by Cheshire Turf Machinery enabled them to ride out and even prosper during the past difficult 18 months. The key to their success? Perhaps it was an early encounter with a bank manager, a strong and stable staff, or a man called Bob. So next, I'll be talking to Tom Black, the newly appointed Managing Director of Belfast-based Cyril Johnston, in an episode called Dealonomics at 70. Uh, The clue is in the name. And where financial nous is again uppermost. So I'm Chris Biddle. Uh, Thanks for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf. 